Oh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Thank you so much, Pastor, for those overly kind and generous words of introduction. When I hear all that, I think uh, I wish it were so. <laughs> I do bring you greetings from George W. Tewitt Theological Seminary, where it's my privilege to teach young ministers. I'm glad you mentioned that I am a native of Cowtown, Fort Worth born, Fort Worth bred. When I die, be Fort Worth dead. I'm, I'm glad to always feel at home coming back here. And I've been familiar with this beloved congregation for most of my life, as we were talking about. Thank you for inviting me and in sharing the friendship with the inimitable Reverend Dr. R.T. Kendall, who I know blessed you when he was here. Uh, in addition to teaching, preaching down in Waco, I'm an itinerant preacher. That means a hit-and-run preacher. <laughs> And it enables me to be at churches coast to coast and border to border, but I'm never happier than when I can preach right here in my hometown. On the front porch of this year, in the vestibule of 2017, I want to open the Word of God with you to Genesis chapter 37. In a message, if I were entitled, it is Six Degrees of separation. I'm going to read to you from the very beginning of the life of the biblical patriarch, Joseph. But I'm reading the beginning of this record to evoke to you, to call to your mind his entire life. As we're going to see that he was always one step closer to the next thing God was about to do in his life. Genesis 37, reading with verse 1. Now, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. And there we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And thus begins the life of the biblical patriarch, Joseph, who found out in his life 
that he was always one degree closer to the next thing God was about to do. When I called this sermon Six Degrees of Separation, that might have brought to the mind of some of you a certain age the name of a Broadway play and a movie. Uh, Stockard Channing, Will Smith starred in a movie by that name. What you may not know is that was actually based on a piece of research by an Ivy League researcher named Stanley Milgram. He had a hunch that anyone was not that many steps away from knowing someone who knows someone who knows someone. <laughs> he came up with an experiment. Back in the day he did it, he gave 30 postcards to people in Omaha, Nebraska and asked them to send to 30 people randomly chosen in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, nobody knew, nobody knew anybody, so he said, well, do you know somebody who might know somebody? And he found out in mailing those postcards that 30 people in Omaha, on the average, were only six people away from knowing 30 randomly chosen people in Boston. <laughs> That's where you get the phrase, six degrees of separation. You think that's so, now enter Facebook. <laughs> they say out of the billion people on Facebook, how many people away do you think you may be from knowing anybody else on the average? It's a stunning figure. They say four people. I don't know uh, the outgoing president. I know two people who have been out of his, in and out of his office regularly, so I'm one step away from him. He knows the Queen of England, so I'm only <laughs> two degrees away from the Queen. Hi, Queen. <laughs> but when you focus on the life of Joseph, you see that he was only six degrees of separation from what God had for him, even though he didn't know it. Now, just in case you didn't wake up this morning with the life of Joseph in the front of your mind, could I give you just about a minute and a half abridged version, cliff notes version, condensed version of the life of Joseph? He's <laughs> the great-grandson of Abraham, the patriarch. About 150 years after Abraham left Ur in what is today Iraq, you know the begats, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac Jacob, and Jacob Joseph. Joseph was his son of his old age with his favorite wife. Remember the story of Leah and Rachel? And at 17, he sent him out to look at his half-siblings keeping sheep, and I don't know what he did. He snitched on them somehow, and he made them mad, and they were already mad because of favoritism. So they sold him down the interstate to slavery in Egypt, but that put him one degree closer to what God was going to do in his life. Remember, he was bought by a man named Potiphar. God blessed everything in Potiphar's house. Joseph, 17-year-old Hebrew, had the anointing and blessing of God on his life that nothing could ever impede, and it was going well, except Mrs. Potiphar who may have been a member of the original cast of Desperate Housewives, started chasing him <laughs> around the house. And because he did the right thing, he wound up in jail, but he was one degree closer. 
to the next thing God had for him because in that jail, the blessing of God was on his life in the jail. In fact, the jailer finally just gave him the keys, the role of the prison, said, I'm out of here. I'm on a cruise to the Bermuda. <laughs> you got the jail. And interestingly, at just that time, two VIP prisoners were thrown into the jail, Pharaoh's butler and Baker. And because of that, Joseph was one degree closer to the next thing God was about to do in his life. Remember, they both had a dream, and they couldn't find anybody to interpret the dream. And finally, Joseph interpreted the dream. <laughs> he told the, uh, Mr. Butler, you're going to be back serving, but Mr. Baker, your head's going to be off. And that happened. And as the butler was leaving, Joseph gave him his business card. This is a loose translation. which I, It says, Joseph, dream interpreter, and said, I'm not supposed to be here. Give this to Pharaoh. <laughs> but the butler got a keys of amnesia for God. But God was one degree closer to getting Joseph where he wanted to get him. Remember Pharaoh's famous dream, the Sunday school, so <laughs> five, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. Nobody could interpret, not the astrologers, not the soothsayers. He couldn't find it even dialing that 800 number to that lady who used to interpret dreams, whoever that was. And suddenly the butler said, ah, I've sinned against God. I've got a card right here. Joseph, dream interpreter. And Joe is one step closer to what God is about to do. There's a knock on the jail door. Get dressed. Oil yourself so you'll shine. You're going to stand in front of the son of the sun, Pharaoh. One step closer. He interprets the dream. <laughs> Pharaoh sends a text to his HR department. <laughs> I need somebody to organize and lead a nationwide food relief program. They text him back. Your Highness, dummy. <laughs> He's right in front of you. And six degrees at a time, he got Joseph where he wanted him to get. Now, I'd like somebody here this morning to come close to me because this message is not just biblical exposition. It's also testimony. God is able to get you one degree at a time to his unlikely destiny for you. First of all, God is able to get you where he wants to get you regardless of how you got into the mess that you're in right now. Some of us have a Ph.D. in messology. <laughs> Life is just a mess, and we don't quite know how we got where we are. We were talking about our friend, Reverend Dr. R.T. Kendall. He would know this story in London from uh, the Tate Museum on the south bank of the Thames to St. Paul's Cathedral on the north, they built a bridge at the millennium. It was called the Millennial Bridge, a pedestrian bridge. And yet, on January 1, 2000, when they opened it up and thousands of people got on it, it began to wobble. It wobbled so much they thought the whole thing was going to fall into the Thames. People were holding on to the struts, the wire. They ran them all off, and the next day they said, well, we'll let them on 25 at a time. Same thing happened. They had to shut the thing down for a year to figure out whether the people made the bridge wobble 
or the bridge made the people wobble, or it was just a wobbling mess. Joseph must have felt that way about his life. Because some things were done to him that made his life wobble. <laughs> he didn't get any choice about the family into which he was born. I don't know how much you remember of Jacob. His very name in Hebrew, Yaakov, means tricky one. A scam artist. Always manipulating, always one step ahead and Joseph didn't get a choice. He was born into that kind of situation, a man on the run. That was done to him. And then there was the whole Jacob family situation. <laughs> you remember. You know, worked uh, seven years thinking he was going to marry Rachel, and then on the honeymoon lifts the veil, and it's Leah. And it's his tricky brother-in-law <laughs> said, well, that's the way it is. You've got to work seven more years. And if that kind of Difficulty was not enough. Rachel and Leah both gave him their handmaids as concubines. They're named here Bilhah and Zilpah. And so with four women living in one tent, Jacob had 12 children. Now, you don't have to be James Dobson to figure out. <laughs> that may not have been the most comfortable <laughs> Well, you're ahead of me. <laughs> that was done to him. And then also he was the object of parental favoritism. It says right here, he was the favorite son. You see, Jacob hadn't learned anything from his own life because his mother, Rebecca, had favored him over his brother Esau. And that led to tremendous difficulties in the family and in history. And Jacob didn't know the first law of holds. You know the first law of holds? <laughs> when you're in one, stop digging. <laughs> he just went on in the same direction, and that favoritism was a setup for his son. Some stuff was done to Joseph. But on the other hand, he did some stuff to himself. <laughs> uh, first of all, he was a snitch. Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It's a real revelation. People don't like snitches. <laughs> they may be right, but people still don't like it. And he'd infuriated his sheep-keeping brothers by snitching on them. I was preaching at the Allen Temple Baptist Church in Oakland, California, third most dangerous city in the nation. The church is on International Boulevard, the most dangerous street in that city. They told me about a young man who was in a GED class there. He, Dr. J. Alfred Smith, senior, remarkable pastor of that church, had such influence with the governor, the man was released to go to school. And he got a text message sitting in the class one day asking him to come outside and meet some old friends. At first, the teacher didn't want him to, but finally relented. The young man went outside front of the blue facade with a gold cross. He shot dead. I was there not long after that, and they said the reason was it was some members of his old gang, and they didn't believe he could have gotten out without being a snitch. That's how Joe's brothers felt about him. But then he did something else to himself. He told people his dreams who were not ready to hear his dreams. 
Come close to me just a minute. Not everybody is ready to hear the last thing God told you. That's why he put two guards in front of your mouth, your teeth and your lips. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sometimes we need to be like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Keep things in our heart and ponder them. That's why Jesus said, don't, 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 don't what? Cast your pearls before swine, give what's holy. And he went and told his dreams to people who weren't ready. So what I'm struggling to say is, church, <laughs> he got a Ph.D. in messology because some things were done to him and he did some things to himself. And if you had stopped Joseph on the way down the interstate to Egypt where he was sold into slavery and you'd say, Joe, can you, can you discern what's different between what you did to yourself and what got done to you? He would have probably scratched his head and said, really, no. How I know is I'm wobbling. Now, out of the hundreds of people here this morning, somebody sitting in front of me, if we could sit down in your kitchen over a cup of coffee, and I, and I often wish I could do that with people I don't know, and just talk to you. You'd say, I, 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 I can't figure out how I got where I am. Seemed like some folks did something to me, and I did some things, but all you know is that life is wobbling. I wanted to come by on the front porch of 2017 to tell you what I found out in my own life. That you're one degree closer to the next thing God will do and grace means you don't have to figure it out. Some of us live in the paralysis of analysis. Looking into life's rear view mirror and we spend our life trying to figure out what I do, what did they do to me, when grace means God can take you where you are this January morning. And you're one degree closer to the next thing he's going to do in your life. Let's go another step with Joe. <laughs> Sometimes you'll even do right and things will turn out wrong. But God uses that to get you one degree closer to where he wants to get you. Here he is at a slave auction, and he's bought by a man named Potiphar. The name means literally slaughter. So he's bought and taken to the house of Mr. Slaughter, and everything's blessed. You know, stocks, bonds, everything up, crops up, cattle herds breeding, everything's blessed. You know the story. Potiphar turns it all over to Joseph and said, you've got everything except Mrs. Potiphar. It's yours. Here's the keys to the Bentley. Here's the combination to the wall safe. I'm out of here. And it's blessed. Until, as I said, Miss Potiphar cast her eye on him. You remember how as he was running out, she caught his garment and used it as exhibit A in the indictment. He did the right thing. And it turned out the wrong way. Hey, come close to me a minute. I wonder if there might be somebody here this morning who feels a little like, say, Job. <laughs> I did it all right. You confessed faith in Christ. You gave him his life. You've been a faithful witness. And yet, even having done everything right, <laughs> 
whether at home or work or somewhere, things came out wrong. Our God is able to take that and use it to get you one degree closer to where he wants to get you. Greg Boyd up at the Bible Church in Minneapolis, St. Paul, <laughs> talked about playing chess. And I can identify with this because I always wanted to be a good chess player pastor, but I really never got more than three moves ahead thinking. You know, I, I could uh, <laughs> move my knight, somebody would move a pawn, and then I'd think, yeah, and I'd get lost in it. But you know they think that a chess master once you make a first move, can think 30 moves ahead all the way to checkmate. Now, if a mere human can think 30 moves ahead, how many moves ahead do you believe God is? In your life, when you zig, God already zagged. And when you zag, God has already zigged. I wish I had time this morning to give you my own testimony how the most unlikely things in my life in the middle of a long 50-year ministry were used of God to open doors that could have never been opened any other way. You remember Mr. Bozo? That's not a biblical character. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Somebody there's thinking, where is that in Genesis? Methuselah begat Bozo. No, 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 no. Mr. Bozo is out at Toys R Us. He's four feet six inches tall. He, he can still get Mr. Bozo. I got Mr. Bozo when I was in fourth grade. If you remember, you blew Mr. Bozo up and you could hit him. Yeah. Yeah, some of you is coming to you. When you hit him, what would happen? He'd always come back up. I remember I, I grew up at, <laughs> in Arlington Nights and, and I remember a bunch of my buddies and I got together. We hit him as hard as we could. We thought if we hit him collectively, he'd stay down. I hate to say this, we even went after him with a baseball bat. <laughs> but finally, we just got too curious and we did some forensic surgery on Mr. Bozo, which was a very deflating experience for him. But anyway, and we found out that he had something in him that we didn't know about. There was a ballast, and that ballast guaranteed that he'd come back. If you've had an experience of grace through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if his blessed anointing is on your life, even when you do right and it turns out wrong, you're one step closer to the next thing God is about to do. That's why they could put the baby Moses in a little papyrus ark and for the second time in history, all that God was going to do was in a little ark and they put it in a crocodile-infested river. <laughs> And waiting down river was Pharaoh's daughter who was looking for a baby just like Moses. That's why Paul's boat can shatter on a reef off the island of Malta 
And every last person there floats to shore. And Paul helps cook him breakfast, and that puts him right at the threshold of where God wanted to get him, and that was to stand in front of sinners. There's nothing that can keep you from being one degree closer to what God's going to do. But here's the best part right here. I promise you in 2017, if you know the Lord, he's putting people in your future that you don't know will be there. Oh, yes, he is. Here's Joe. He's in jail. He must have been discouraged. But God's blessing, like I said, on the jail. Jail never been calmer. Prisoners never been sweeter. He becomes the head trustee. The jailer gives him the keys, the list of prisoners. And at just that time, there's an act. And here's a $64 word of synchronicity. Carl Jung coined that word. It means things that come together meaningfully even though they don't have any relationship. The butler and the baker of Pharaoh have offended Pharaoh. Now, that doesn't mean they just ironed his pants and made the bread. Those would have been advisors, cabinet-level confidants, and they were thrown into jail. (laughs) And Joseph interprets their dream. At just the time he got there, through no causal relationship, God put them there too. What God can do to get you where he wants you is indescribable. They had a dream. In the middle of the night, in stage four, rapid eye movement, double dose of ambient sleep, (laughs) they had a dream. It's interesting what God can do with dreams. One of my dear friends for 40 years, named is Adamola Ashola, the executive director of All Baptist Work. In Nigeria, 10,000 Baptist churches in Nigeria. If you're familiar with that country today, in the interior of the country, great opposition to Christianity from radical Islam. Churches burnt, Christians killed. Adamola Shola said, let's start praying by name that their leaders will dream about Jesus. And guess what's happening? They're dreaming about Jesus. And they're coming to pastors and they're saying, why are we dreaming about Jesus? Oh, God can slip in so many ways. (laughs) Well, they had a dream. Joseph interpreted it. Because he put people into Joe's life that he didn't know were going to be there to get him one degree closer to what God had for him. In the ups and downs of my life, and I've been up and I've been down and I've been level with the ground, I had a period of time when I was preaching and publishing right here in this city. And every other month I had to fly up to New York because that's the center of publishing business. Late one night on a delayed flight from DFW to Newark, Liberty Airport, plane delayed about 2 in the morning, finally landed, ice storm, terrible. I did something I'd never done before after. I, I grabbed my bag off the carousel and went out to the cab line. And I said, the first cab, take me to the closest hotel. I don't know where it is. I'm so tired. Well, he, he took me almost to the end of the runway and stopped and said, well, here it is. There's <laughs> an old Ramada Inn. I didn't care. I'm so tired. Took my bag, walked up to the desk and said, you have a room. They said, we got one. It was just turned back in. I said, that's fine. 
I looked over in a grill off the lobby. Somebody was eating something, and hunger overcame sleep. And I remember sitting down by this chicken and rice soup. I'm eating it, and out of the back comes a voice, Dr. Gregory. <laughs> my first impulse was to hold my hands of him. Uh, <laughs> it was Newark after all. Uh, and a tall, handsome, young African-American man came up to me and said, you don't know me. I said, no. <laughs> he said, I'm surprised to see you here. And I said, I'm surprised about all this. And he said, my name is Joe Carter. I'm pastor of the New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, 106 Sussex in Newark, New Jersey. And today, I just finished reading your autobiography. <laughs> you probably saw Joe if you saw Whitney Houston's funeral. He's pastor of that church. Her mother was minister of music for 50 years. And in that moment... A lifetime friendship was waged. I couldn't even begin to tell you what Reverend Joe Carter and I have done all over this country together for the sake of the kingdom. He's on my ministry foundation board. Our lives have been intertwined in more ways than I could ever tell you by the hand of God. And it happened because of a delayed flight. Oh, he asked me, do you have a room? I said, I got the last room. Then he looked surprised. He said, I'd been waiting for a minister whose plane couldn't land, and I turned that room in. Now, somebody here who's a rationalist or a materialist might say, well, the odds just caught up with you. If you believe that's odds, you believe a printing plant would blow up and dictionaries would fall out of the air. <laughs> God is putting people into your future, that you do not know will be there. Look for them. It may be a person on the other side of the counter at the dry cleaners. It may see someone across the hall in a dormitory. It may be someone that you accidentally run into on the street. It may be in an airplane seat next to you. That's happened to me too. God's putting them there. And they will get you one degree closer to the next thing God has for you. Well, the moment came. Sometimes what God does, he can do suddenly. All of this happened to Joe. He's in jail, interpreted the dreams. <laughs> the butler, remember, he got Joe's card, forgot him for two years. Have you ever tried to help anybody and they forgot you? It kind of stings. You opened your home your billfold, your purse, you put your own reputation on the line and they forgot you. Do you know what? And I've lived this. Folks that got amnesia about you can suddenly remember you at the strangest times. <laughs> and God can use that. <laughs> Pharaoh has a dream. He's called the son of the sun, the S-O-N of the S-U-N. He was a God. He has this dream about fat cows, skinny cows. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. All of his astrologers and soothsayers and wise guys couldn't figure it out. <laughs> this butler said, ooh, 
Joe Capeman. Now, let me tell you something. You'll find that God will get you places because some people you thought forgot you suddenly remember you. And then it happened like a thunderclap. Here's Joseph in jail. Suddenly, there's a knock on the door. Suddenly, he has to get dressed and bathed. Suddenly, he's standing before the son of the sun. Suddenly, from the jailhouse to the big house. <laughs> and suddenly, he's the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world. Suddenly. Let me say this, church, in this balcony around this lower floor. Sometimes what God does in our life evolves incrementally, step by step, but he's also a God who can sometimes do it suddenly. We've just been through Christmas season. What happened to those shepherds out keeping their sheep? That's a dull job. Oh, that's all you hear. <laughs> but suddenly, there was with the angel, what a multitude. What about Pentecost? There they were up in that upper room waiting. What happened? Suddenly, there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And I'm here to tell you because I've experienced sometimes God can do what he's going to do suddenly. One step at a time, but suddenly. <laughs> you say, well, Joel, this is an Old Testament character. We, we don't worship Joseph. We, we worship the Lord Jesus. Yes, we do. And you know there's some strange parallels, and this is not a whole other sermon. I'm going to note these and sit down. But, you know, Joseph came from an unusual family situation. <laughs> he really did. Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, Jacob, and all that. Jesus came from a strange family situation. A teenage virgin named Mary with child of the Holy Spirit creating all kind of gossip in Nazareth. <laughs> Joseph had to go to Egypt to get his destiny. So did Jesus. And it involved a dream. Down to Egypt until Herod was dead. One step at a time. Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. Read John 7. Mocked him. If you're the Messiah, go down to Jerusalem and show up at the feast. But suddenly, <laughs> the resurrected Jesus appeared to his half-brother James. He became pastor of the church in Jerusalem and wrote a letter in the New Testament. Strange parallels, aren't they? That same Lord Jesus, one degree at a time, moved toward his destiny on a cross an empty tomb, a triumphant resurrection, a visible ascension. And I don't think it's any accident, just like me meeting Joe Carter in the grill at the Ramada Inn at the end of the Newark airport. I don't think it's an accident I came by here with this message today. I'm sure it's not. Somebody here today is one step away from the next thing God is going to do in your life. You wandered into this balcony around or this lower floor and a voice beyond my voice 
is speaking to you. That's the Spirit of God. Somebody here needs a Savior. The word Savior means rescuer. To be saved is to be rescued. And you say, my God, I'm in a mess. I need to be rescued. <laughs> Somebody here today has a problem that's a puzzle inside of an enigma, inside of a riddle. Just like there are exit signs on these doors, there's a no exit sign in your life. God wants you to bring that to him. When answers aren't enough, there is Jesus. Somebody else with something I can't even put a name on. But out of your seat and into this altar to hand it to God and to say, I don't know how I got into the mess that I'm in, but today I'm going to put it in your hands as the God who can use anything to get me one degree closer to the next thing he has. I want to ask you to bow your heads all around, please, in prayer. And for just a moment, to make this a private prayer chapel, our musicians will make their way as their custom is. But I want you for a moment, it's like the old spiritual, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. Just asking God. What's in this message for you? Somebody doesn't know, you're shocked that life is in the mess it is. You're wobbling. You don't know who did it to you or what you did to yourself. Grace means you can bring that to this altar you can bring it to a prayer partner and God can use it to get you one degree closer. Somebody here like Joe, you, you did what was right. You did. It seemed that everything was in a major key, but now it's in a minor key. And you, you, God can use that. Who knows, maybe my coming by here today was God putting somebody in your future you didn't expect with this word for you. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then the ministry is going to come and open this altar or the doors of the church in the custom of this place. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak this morning. Somebody is one step away from the next thing you're about to do in their life. Holy Spirit, you said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We pray you'll take this story from back there and then and bring it to life because some Joseph is sitting in a pew here today and I pray that by the drawing and leading power of your spirit they'll take the next step 
one degree closer to what you have for them. We ask this in Jesus' name.